Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Of course it is. We have a nice tight week for movies. We... Some of them pretty silly. <laughs> so, some not silly at all. Yeah, uh, we definitely run the gamut. That's what we do best here at Bad Dad, Rad Dad. Let's get into the smackaroonies. You kicked this off, yes? Yeah. Uh, so semester two is starting. I was tired, just finished marking diplomas, and don't want to talk too much about it, but uh, the Alberta government announced some pretty regressive, terrible, depressing um, policies that they are apparently going to implement. Hopefully that doesn't happen and they get stopped. And so I was feeling pretty sad about yep. this. So I picked a very silly movie. I picked Killer Clowns from Outer Space, a 1988 comedy horror sci-fi film. It was directed by Stephen Chiodo and written by Charles Stephen and Edward Chiodo. It stars Grant Kramer as Mike Tobacco, Suzanne Snyder as Debbie Stoner, Joan Allen Nelson as Dave Hansen, and John Vernon as Curtis Mooney. The synopsis, which I pulled from Prime instead of from IMDb because I like the Prime one better, <laughs> is... Alien bozos snare <laughs> earthlings in cotton candy cocoons. Fuck, that's really good. It's really good. What did you think of Killer Clowns from Outer Space? Alien bozos. I love that. Um, I thought out of my brain is just making really weird fill-in-the-blank connections today. And for a second, I thought you were going to say Killer Clowns of the Flower Moon. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's like one of those mashup games. Um, this was an unexpected move from you. I didn't expect you to pick this film. I know that it's a mystery and you could literally pick anything, but I wholeheartedly respect that you picked this. I do have a former student who this is their favorite movie of all time. I love that. And has like professed that to me more than once that we should watch it. <laughs> and quite a few people that I follow on Letterboxd have rated this fairly high it has a high rating yeah. overall. So I was like, it's kind of been in back of my mind. 
And we've talked between each other about like wanting to watch the Terrifier movies. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm not ready for that yet. But But let's start with some different clowns. I'm getting there. Yeah. I've looked at this movie so many times. I remember working at Blockbuster and it was on the shelf. And every time I walked down the aisle that it was seated on, I would be like, this looks dumb, but fun. And I'm so curious about it. But I never ended up taking it out or, or taking a look at it. And I... And since then, I never actively sought it out. And just judging from the title, you'd expect to be in for a romp and you would expect correctly. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like so bad it's good. And it has elements of that mostly in the acting. Yeah. But it's actually just kind of good. Yeah. It's just it's well-crafted goof. Yes. Um, Charles Bromsko. Of AV Club said this about it, and I agree. Uh, Charles said, quote, the film is patently absurd, but the filmmakers are fully committed to that absurdity. It's hard not to respect its enduring appeal. Yeah. Like, it's obviously crafted with love. I mean, you can just look at the clown designs and deduce that because they went to town with the practical makeup and effects to build each of these And that's just it. Each of these clown costumes, which are unique from each other. Yeah. And a lot of the the sets and the like practical effects of the kind of more horror elements are quite good. Yeah. Like the acting doesn't live up to that, but that's what makes it fun. Yes. Yeah. And they've got, but they've gotten actors that are good. (laughs) They're not great, but they're good actors so that they can, deliver the material in a way that makes it fun, makes it endearing, and then can lead us into the goofy, silly awesomeness that is the killer clowns. Because the killer clowns kind of have a bit of a similar sort of dread that the gremlins have. Yeah, they're kind of just chaotic evil. Yeah. But they're a bit hedonistic too. Like they Mm -hmm. just are having a good time. (laughs) Yes. Here for a good time, not a long time kind of <laughs> kind of vibes. Um, but I have to give it to this movie because for something that I thought was just going to be like so ridiculous. And like I said, I'm going to pick something Johnny Mnemonic level. I personally think this is better than Johnny Mnemonic. Mm-hmm. There was a moment in this that actually gave both of us the Wiggins. Yeah. Where I was like, ooh, I, mm, I don't like the way that makes me feel. And it has to do with popcorn. Uh, yeah. Of all things, my freaking favorite snack. Why'd you do this to me? <laughs> You've eaten it since, so I think you're okay. Yeah, I've had to put this the memory from this movie in the in the deep reaches of my brain. I can and you know what? I was thinking about this. The clowns, like they they look so gross. And I can see that if you're somebody who has a fear, a deep fear of clowns, that this could really fuck you up. Well, especially if you saw this when you were quite young. Because seeing it now, it's fun and mostly harmless even in like it's mostly inoffensive there's one really thoughtless moment where the character of mike is mimicking an indigenous person and i was like that's it's it doesn't even seem to be done in a mean-spirited way but it's thoughtless and it's not cool Mm -hmm. and then there's one moment where they like refer to eating disorders as something in a freak show in in a thoughtless way as well but aside from those two moments which admittedly are not cool moments. Mm -hmm. 
really inoffensive movie, which is impressive for a 1988 horror movie. Mm -hmm. There was even a moment with the character of Debbie showering where you're like, okay, here comes the nudity. And it never happened. Like you never see, there's a lot of talk about like necking at top of the world, (laughs) Yeah, but we never actually see any nude women. And I actually think the lack of misogyny and racism in it, while not completely absent, mm-hmm. is kind of impressive for 1988. And for a movie of this caliber to be kind of subverting expectations throughout the whole thing is, again, really impressive. You did um fall asleep. Yeah, there was a blip there. And missed a hilarious part. It's how I, always how I know you're sleeping because you would have laughed. Oh, yeah. So I woke you up. We jetted back. We were around it. And now we have an all-time favorite quote, which is... <laughs> what are you going to do with those pies, boys? <laughs> yeah, we're going to be saying that for the rest of our lives. I don't know. I think that this movie, I get why it's so well-loved by certain people. And I guess it's got quite the cult following. Um, in 2021, Spirit Halloween had a whole Killer Clowns section of their store. That's great. Why? I don't know. They oh, just did. All right. Um, and there's a game coming out in 2024, like a video game. I think I heard about this. And it it really does lend itself to a video game. I'm like, depending on what they do with it, I, I would maybe think it's quite fun. Um, it has that vibe to it. I don't know. This film, it seems like the filmmakers really knew what they wanted to do with it. The Chiodos were special effects people. Okay. And then decided to make this movie. And originally they were just going to call it Killer Clowns, but then there was like a worry that people would be expecting a slasher, which they knew it wasn't. And that's why they added from outer space. And Mm. then we get that sick song, (laughs) (laughs) Killer Clowns, um, that plays in the beginning and ending of the film. I thought it was pretty damn fun. I thought the practical effects were lovely to watch and like had me invested in the film and ultimately through the characters of Mike Debbie and Dave, we get like thruple goals. Like (laughs) they don't explicitly state it, but I do think that this film is a pro poly movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It all comes together. What do you do when your ex-girlfriend's current boyfriend needs help saving her from killer clowns from outer space? You start dating. You all fall in love. Yeah. (laughs) And that is the beauty of this movie. Um, I'd watch it again. I would too. Like if the situation presented itself and we could have, like I would like to see this in a theater full of people. I would like to watch it with, even just with a group of friends at home. I think it could just be a, a fun, silly time. It is a fun, silly time. How did Killer Clowns from Outer Space make you feel? Impressed by its craft and tickled at times by its dialogue. How did it make you feel? It made me feel an absolutely over-the-top sense of sci-fi fun. I enjoyed this so much more than I thought I would. Um, and it was exactly what I needed when I'm feeling sad about my province and the state of the world. 100%. Excellent pick. I was also wanting to just watch something that was really easy and really fun. So I chose the 1996 action-adventure thriller Twister. It's uh, directed by Jan de Bont and it's written by Michael Crichton of Jurassic Park fame and Anne-Marie Martin. It stars Helen Hunt as Dr. Joe Harding, Bill Paxton as Bill Harding, 
Carrie Elwes as Dr. Jonas Miller, Jamie Gertz as Dr. Melissa Reeves, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Dustin Dusty Davis, Alan Ruck as Robert Rabbit, Nurek, and Lois Smith as Meg Green, a.k.a. Aunt Meg. Synopsis, Bill and Joe Harding, advanced storm chasers on the brink of divorce, <laughs> must join together to create an advanced weather alert system by putting themselves in the crosshairs of extremely violent tornadoes. What do you think of Twister? You know, on the brink of divorce, advanced storm chasers, as you do. Yeah, put that in the LinkedIn <laughs> um, bio. <laughs> for sure. This is a movie I actually never watched as a kid because... Then and now, I'm very scared of tornadoes. Yeah. Um, tornadoes, for me as a kid, were one of those really, str- and this movie is to credit for it, is one of those really strange obsessions that I had. It was were, like, were you scared, but you needed to know? Yeah. Like, so like sharks. Well, it's like shark. I was really obsessed with sharks, the Titanic, volcanoes, and tornadoes. I actually had... Like Yeah, this movie sparked a very special interest for me in tornadoes. And I had a whole video cassette of tornado-focused programming that I recorded off of TV that I would repeat, put on repeat constantly. It was just like little shows, little specials on tornadoes. Like science-y shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But But also, it'd be like science-y shows, but also shows kind of retelling and recapping famous tornadoes throughout history and i was like this is crazy little elliot never ceases to amaze me at his weirdness because you know what i was doing at the same time so just for people who aren't from alberta the edmonton area this is tornado country i don't think as much as oklahoma but Mm. when you're in the flatlands tornado tornado weather and we all kind of know when when you're having a hot summer and then all of a sudden there's rain, you're like, yeah, this is the potential for tornadoes. But we also grew up since we were born in 1990, we grew up with like the specter of the 1987 Edmonton tornado, mm-hmm. which like our parents have stories about. It right? rocked a lot of people's shit. Like it was a big deal. Yeah. Like it was something that people legitimately had fear about still when we were growing up. Right. It was still so recent. Um, and I just grew up with this intense fear of tornadoes and I have so many memories um, because my mom would work during the day in the summers and my dad was technically home but was like asleep upstairs. Um, So like my older sisters would be out and then my brother might be like in his room playing Lego and I would hear like a storm warning, like a tornado, potential tornado warning and I would lug my piano downstairs. It was a keyboard but it was not light and I, I was a little, little child like yeah. I was just a twig I would lug my cat Frankie who also was not like <laughs> yeah um and my favorite stuffed animal Pooh Bear which I got for 25 cents from a garage sale when my grandma said I could spend a dollar and she's like are you sure you could have 75 more cents and I was like no I want him and he had many surgeries over the years for like his head and legs falling off <laughs> he had to be repaired <laughs> um I would take those three things downstairs close the door and just like be terrified mm but I'm like, at least if the tornado wrecks the house, I'll have my cat, my piano, and my stuffed animal. Yeah. yeah. So many vivid memories of doing that. I wasn't, 
I didn't get that intense about it, but I felt the same way. Like as soon as there was a tornado watch or warning that came on, I was immediately at the window and like Why weren't you in the basement? I was watching for it. I was making sure. Oh, see, I'm not chasing that tornado. I'm hiding in the basement. I've had so many We're never going to be <clears throat> Joe and Bill. Yeah, we're not going to be them. I've had so many recurring tornado dreams. Like it's 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 a major fear where I've I actually had one like a month ago and it's just like me trying to get away from a tornado or being in a, a building with a tornado. I remember there was another really big tornado that happened when, when we were kids at a campground called Pine yeah. Lake. Yep. And what's crazy is that at the time I was out camping with my family and we were kind of doing a tour of campgrounds and we were trying to decide between two to go to and one of them was Pine Lake. Whoa. We, so we almost went to Pine Lake. It could have gotten tornadoed. Um, <laughs> I think that my big fear of tornadoes stems back even farther because one of my favorite films now and when I was really little, like one of my first favorite movies was The Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. And the tornado in The Wizard of Oz is also pretty scary. Yeah, it's a big deal. Because yeah. you've got the tornado happening and then in the tornado you've got, I'll get you, my pretty. Right? And that's not not very nice. To start talking about the actual movie, though, the first time you showed this to me a number of years ago, and I had never seen it because of previously mentioned fear of tornadoes, but I love Speed. Yeah. And it's directed by the same person. This has that same, like, thrilling action adventure without it being all about the action. Like, it's still grounded in character. Mm -hmm. There's something about both Speed and Twister that is like the kind of action movie I really like. Right. I don't really know how to put my finger on what it is that makes them different. I think it's the characters. Yeah. It it cares enough to spend some time. And I mean, like when you have the director of speed and the writer of Jurassic park, I feel like you're set up for success. Well, and they're also both not, um, they're not about fight scenes. Like I don't, care for fight scenes it's yeah it's about taking characters that are developed and putting them in scenarios and then seeing how they deal with it yeah it's more it's like these both of them i would say are thrilling yeah they're thrillers to me more than they are action movies but they do have action in them both movies have great supporting casts like where you've got these people who you don't see for a lot of screen time, but they make a big impact. Like I think mm -hmm. in Speed, the bus driver, like he's not in the movie long, but he's so important to like the camaraderie of the bus. Mm -hmm. um, and in this, like the whole team that the Hardings have with them is, first of all, contains some like big deal people. Yeah. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman is hilarious in this. And then Todd Field, director of Tar, is, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Um, and it really creates that sense of like found family. Yeah, I, I this is one of my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman roles all time. I, I grew up watching this movie and loving Dusty. I, I love how over the top he is. And it's so funny because this is probably one of the first things I ever saw Philip Seymour Hoffman in. So as I started watching more movies <laughs> as I got older and seeing that he is a very well-established dramatic actor who can <laughs> do that really well, it was very funny. Because he's so funny in this. Yeah. And I'm um, like, damn, Dusty from Twister's got some chops. <laughs> and then we've got Dr. Gordon. Or yeah. like, what's his name in Princess Bride? Wesley. Wesley. Probably most people know him as playing a real piss boy. <laughs> yeah, yes. 
Like this guy stinks in this. Yeah. Real villain. Such a weasel. Such a wiener. They call him so many things. We watched it with subtitles. It was really good. And a lot of loser. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love when Dusty is just chirping them when they roll by and he pops in the window. He's like, give me a kiss, man. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they all know that like they have heart and they have passion and no amount of like nice vehicles funded by the government is going to give those people the talent and drive they need to actually get the job done. And it's that's such a simple thing. Like I love that these government funded piss boys are in their like sleek black vans and trucks. And then I absolutely love that the Harding group are all in their ragtag vehicles and there's a specific order that they're always in. And they have the roles that they play. I said this to you when we started watching this, like this as a kid watching it, it made me so in love with just in car radios. Like all <laughs> the of the walkie talkies are so cool, man. <laughs> like I loved all of them talking to each other and like cutting to them talking over the radio. It played such a big role for so much of the dialogue in the movie. And I thought it was so fucking cool. Um, do you know that Jan de Bont's kind of a piece of poo? No. Yeah, he was I I don't I don't remember reading anything about that when we covered speed, but this was not a good time for anybody who was on this movie. No. Apparently he was very angry, very demanding. They would like film a really complicated scene and then he'd be like, I want to do the same thing, but in the opposite direction, but they wouldn't have like planned that out. And it's like, this took hours. We can't do this again. So multiple crew walk-offs, like multiple times crews walked off, including one time when he like, I think deliberately hurt a crew member, like kicked them. And so the crew walked off. Um, and then Helen Hunt did not have a good time. I don't think Bill Paxton did either, but um, some of the stuff that they were using to create like lights in the sky actually blinded them for three days. Whoa. So that's not cool. Um, and... Like Helen Hunt got quite hurt during a lot of the scenes, including like both her and Bill Paxton had to be treated for, I think, hepatitis or something like that after they like filmed in like too dirty of mud or something. Oh, yeah. Um, And then Debon went on record and said, quote, I love Helen to death, but, you know, she can be a little bit clumsy. And this was her response. Helen Hunt seems oh, so awesome. Nice. She said, quote, clumsy. The guy burned my retinas, but I'm clumsy. I thought I was a good sport. I don't know. Ultimately, if Jan chalks me up. As that or not, but one would hope so. <laughs> Good for her, man. Yeah. That sucks. Like There was also, I guess, lots of problems with like unhappiness with the script. Joss Whedon came in and did some rewrites, but then he got sick. He got like bronchitis or something. Fuck so that somebody guy. else came in to do some rewrites, but then they were like, I'm getting married. Peace. Um, so Helen Hunt actually contributed a lot to the story. And I read that she was a big part of minimizing what in the initial script was a lot of cattiness between Joe and Melissa. Oh, good. Which is interesting because at the end of this movie, I said I really liked that there wasn't a lot of animosity between them, that that wasn't the like hook of the movie. Um, and this is specifically what she said about it. She said, quote, that's not going to be fun to play or to watch. I'm not sure if I want to do that. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a scene that is probably the most confrontational between the two of them, but it 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 doesn't play as catty. No, it plays as kind of an, an interrogation which isn't rooted in untruth. And it's, yeah. and even like the character of Melissa, which I think could very much be set up to be like, this is the character that everyone's going to shit on. Nobody's yeah. going to like Melissa. And on this watch, just like watching where she ends up, 
it makes me want to say just like get it girl yeah and i also think melissa's kind of like that audience conduit like we're the ones who are like are you crazy like i wouldn't i'm i'm not getting in that car anymore well absolutely yeah absolutely like i think that if you were in her situation who's just kind of green to the whole storm chasing thing and tornadoes in general and the science behind it all that all these people you're surrounded by are totally nerds over and then they're getting excited for super dangerous situations that they in turn are putting me in i'd be like Fuck you guys. And she that character is used well to just be our like exposition without needing exposition. Like when we're at Aunt Meg's house and she doesn't know yeah. the routine or know the dynamics between all these people, it's through watching her figure it out that we figure it out. Right? Which yeah. is I think actually really well used and I and I like where everything ends up with her. Um you're really excited for the sequel. Yeah, they have announced uh, a sequel called Twisters, which apparently is not a reboot nor a sequel, but just like another Twister movie. But it is my most, it's one of my most anticipated <laughs> movies of the year because, I mean, A, it has Daisy Edgar Jones in it, who we love from Normal People. But it's, it's directed by Lee Isaac Chung, who did Minari, which we haven't covered on the show, but is fucking amazing. You teach it. Mm-hmm. Like, what? What? I I mean, incredible. So I am so excited for Twisters. But in reading about this movie, there was a different sequel that was proposed that I'm kind of sad never happened. Oh, do tell. Um, So it was in 2021, so not that long ago. Helen Hunt wanted to write and direct a sequel. Ooh. Um, she pitched a direct sequel to the original with a s- script that she had co-authored with David Diggs and Raphael Cassell, who are the people who did Blind Spotting. Yeah. Um, and her intention was to be the director and to be Joe Harding again, like to star in it. Um, and the studio passed on her script. Oh, and she like she gave an interview about it. This is what she said. She said, quote, I tried to get it made with David and Raphael and me writing it um, and all black and brown storm chasers. And they just wouldn't do it. I was going to direct it. We could barely get a meeting. And this was in June of 2020 when they were all about diversity. It would have been so cool. <laughs> oh, man. And like, I feel like I, I feel like she's not being like a oh, I was trying to be diverse to get a script. She's saying like, you all said you were about diversity and then you passed on my script. Well, like, yeah, she wanted to partner with people who then agreed to partner with her to make this story. And what it sounds like from what I read is that they wrote the script. Yeah. Well, and I feel like there's such an emotional play that you could have there given the, the fact that like Bill Paxton has passed away. Like, I feel like there's a whole... We know that just from this movie, that grief is a tough thing for Joe. And well, I mean, this is, we've been saying a lot lately. We kind of, because of this show, which for the most part, dear listener, despite the fact that we're called Bad Dad, Rad Dad, we're not talking about dads every second of the show. Yeah. We're mostly talking about movies. But then in our show, it comes back to dads by the end. And we've been kind of ribbing each other and we'll we'll poke each other when we're at the movie and be like, it's all about dads. Like how many movies, really almost all of them, come back to dads in the end. Yeah. This thing that we started is just a conduit for us to tell stories about our dads and about, you know, how to become a better person and reflect on the people who have influenced your life. It, it's all about It's dads. all about dads. And in this movie, it all comes back to dead dads. It often comes back to dead dads or just bad dads. Bad dads. Yeah. Or missing a rad dad, right? Like it comes back to it in the end. And that's 
that's Joe's driving force is, and I think that's what makes this movie so strong is when she's doing things that seem completely unhinged. Mm -hmm. And then she yells something like, like they need more warning. And like, and when she has that dramatic moment with Bill and says like, you've never seen, you've never seen it. Miss this house, miss that house and come after you. It's like, it's, that that's illogical, but but it, it's burned into her from when she's a kid, and we yeah. and we saw it happen, so we we understand it too. Yeah, it's really it's really affecting, and so it's it's actually as excited as I am for Twisters. It's disappointing that Helen Hunt, who I think is so badass in this, and despite not having the best time on set with the director, at least clearly has like a fondness for the character that she wanted to be involved in for some reason it didn't happen. That's a bit disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like all those people that are involved are great people to be involved. And I actually quite like Helen Hunt. Um, Yeah. I've seen all of all of mad about you. Yeah. That's, that's really great. I love that claim to fame for you. (laughs) Um, I've been thinking about her a lot. I don't know why. And there's a few movies that I have in my brain that I, I want to have as mystery movie picks that are lined have up. Have I seen them? Um, one, I feel like for sure not. One, yes. Um, She's great in this. Oh, and yeah. Bill Paxton, he's good too. Yeah. He's cute. The supporting cast is great. The, the poster for this is so iconic to me. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, the, the tornado effects are quite oh, good. Oh, yeah. Like that's, I, I was reading that that's how the movie... Um, got picked up. It it wasn't a spec script. It was a proof of concept of the effects. Oh. They just showed a clip of like a twister. I feel like it still holds up because there's still moments when rewatching it now, a movie from 1996, we're rewatching it in 2024. And there was moments where we're like, holy shit. Like, but they wh- also didn't film on sound stages. And I think that's a part of it. Like Jan Debont refused. He said something like this could be the last great movie not made on a sound stage. And I'm like, dude chill (laughs) people are making movies not on sound stages now too you really think highly of yourself the last thing that i want to say that is one of my favorite things about this movie is bless whoever came up with the language for the rating around this movie because it's rated pg-13 for intense depiction of very bad weather (laughs) (laughs) i love that but honestly it is pretty scary like we were at our niece's five-year-old birthday party and she well she wanted to look at pictures of my, on my phone and there was like I had screenshotted some things about Twister and she likes to ask questions and I was like I don't want to explain to her about tornadoes if she doesn't know already because she might get scared yeah like if she saw this right now I think she'd be very scared and she's so curious so she'd want to know all about how people die and how it wrecks houses and if it can happen to her and yeah this movie yeah. this movie really bad weather <laughs> very bad weather. very bad weather intense depiction of very, very bad, bad no good day I, <laughs> I i love this movie so much it's so ingrained in just little elliot i watched it so much and it and it did ignite that special interest <laughs> in tornadoes when i was a little nugget and while they totally terrify me, I love them so much. I'm so excited for the sequel. I hope it's good. I'm so I'm I'm sad to hear that there was a, a different sequel lined up with who I think were great people too. Maybe, maybe it'll still happen. Spearhead it. Maybe if Twisters does well. 
honestly, I could, I would go to tornado movies, good tornado movies every year if they made them. You want to hear something cool? Hmm. So another interest of yours is pinball machines. Yeah. There's a Twister film pinball machine. From no the 90s. fucking way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want. I really, <laughs> I really like, I really like pinball. <laughs> I know. I was like, you've been, you've been interested in some certain pinball machines, but I'm like, I bet you'd particularly like a Twister pinball machine. Oh well, yeah. I, I would really like to own a <laughs> pinball machine at home, but I, they're fucking, they're so expensive. But I, I w- if I were to get one, I would want it to be themed because they just released like these limited edition that we're getting on a tangent here, a limited edition Jaws pinball machines. And they're so fucking cool, but they're like 10 grand It's and more American. It's crazy. Oh, this is sick. I know. That's why I'm telling you. OK, while you're doing that, I'm going to end us on the note of Roger Ebert. We don't agree with I don't agree with what he said about this movie, but I do think it's hilarious so let's wrap up talking about Twister with Roger Ebert's byline about it. He gave it two and a half out of four stars, and this is what he said. Quote, you want loud, dumb, skillful, escapist entertainment? Twister works. You want to think? Think twice about seeing it. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I know. I, I so know, objectively, it is not a slam dunk movie, but for a little kid, it totally is. It's still fun. It's still thrilling. The characters still rock. Absolutely. I, I love it. And the effects still hold up. Like at the very least, watch this to just see some really great fucking tornado visual effects. And Philip Seymour Hoffman. God damn. How'd this make you feel? Made me feel thrilled despite my very real fear of tornadoes. <laughs> How did it make you feel? In love, nostalgic, and still terrified of very bad weather. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, we went and saw something else silly. It was just that kind of week. Until it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, we, kept, we really buttoned it with the next one, but let's stick with the silly. So we went to the comedy horror film that came out in 1994, Cemetery Man. It was directed by Michelle Soavi. Written by Tiziano Sclavi and Gianni Romoli, and it stars Rupert Everett as Francesco Della Morte, Francois Haji Lazaro as Nagi, Anna Flashy as She, and Fabian Formica as Valentina. She. Synopsis A cemetery man must kill the dead a second time when they become zombies. I like how you just say cemetery man. Cemetery like, man. that's everything. That, like, oh, there's cemetery men everywhere. He really, that really is his life, though. He is a cemetery man. <laughs> 
What did you think of Cemetery Man? Uh, this was another one that I feel like I say this so often on the show, which is great. I love that this is the scenario I'm so often in, is that I didn't have any context for this movie. I didn't know anything about it, except that this is one of our buddy Lori's faves. Yeah, Lori really likes this movie. Which, after watching this, totally tracks. Oh, yeah, there's a couple of moments where we looked at each other and we were like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I so love the byline for this movie, zombies, guns, and sex. Oh, my. <laughs> It truly is zombies, guns, and sex. Like, this movie is quite silly, but it's very sincere about it. Yeah, like, this is, it's kind of interesting because this is kind of a week of movies that you could call silly or a romp, but there is an edge to them that makes them more thoughtful. And it seems like everyone involved believed in the importance of the film. Yeah, it's like, we know that, a movie called Twister about tornadoes is silly in concept, but like, let's make it good. Yeah, we know Killer Clowns from Outer Space is ridiculous, but let's do some sick sets. Yeah, yes, let's put like you put effort into it and then the audience will see that effort. And you definitely like when this started and it was decently busy at the theater, I was like, oh, this is going to be like another Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. People are going to be quipping through it. Like it just seemed like that was the energy. Yeah. No, it like people quieted down. And I just think the movie does take itself quite seriously in a honest way, not a like pretentious way. And, you know, if you can accept that invitation that it's giving you, it's pretty lovely. It's also very horny. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It's so horned. uh, It's so horned up and is just so bonkers. But it makes for such a fun watch. It also feels to me that Francesco Della Morte is like somebody that like a My Chemical Romance fan would be in love with. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like sad emo boy. Totally. And like in like like death darkness, but he loves her. Yeah. He's a romantic, but he's sad. Totally. You know, like it, it, he really feels like he belongs in late 90s, early 2000s emo culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm surprised, honestly, that this hasn't made a resurgence. Like I could see a lot of students that I teach who who've kind of picked emo culture back up. Well, really liking a movie like this. It's so funny you say that because we were watching this and we got to the end and I'm like, do you know who would totally be like if they remade this now? I can totally fucking see like Jacob Elordi being... <laughs> The Rupert Everett okay, character. They should remake it with Jacob Elordi. Because it I feel really good. Well, I feel like Jacob Elordi hasn't really let his comedic chops shine, but I feel like he's got it. And he could totally he could totally be this dark emo boy. They should do a um not a remake, but a sequel where he where she had a baby. <laughs> and it's Jacob Elordi, and now he's taken on the Cemetery the, Man. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Right? I think that'd be so awesome. (laughs) He has the body. Honestly, Rupert Everett's really attractive. Oh, he's a fucking babe in this. And it took me about half the movie. I was like, I've seen this guy before and he's been like really sensual in something else I've seen. And then I was like, oh my goodness, he's like King of the Fairies Oberon in A Midsummer Night's Dream, which I've watched a million times because that's the Shakespeare that I teach in grade 10. And he's quite like sensual in that too growing up there was three men that i thought all just kind of looked the same and i just kind of painted them with the same brush and that was rupert everett dermot Mulroney, and kyle mclaughlin 
I get it, but now you see that they're different. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. But as a kid, I, like looking at movie covers and stuff, I'm just like, same man. Well, they're all very like lean muscle and like prominent jaw and chin. Yes. Um, but but none, yeah, he's just a sexy sad none, man. Yeah, very sexy sad man. It was, it was just so fun throughout the whole thing. I, I'm with you. I'm so glad that the audience was in as well and we get we get through the whole the whole thing and the ending was so much more thought-provoking than i thought that this was going to be capable of and i'm like holy fucking shit like i feel like i feel like game of thrones stole some stuff from this for the character of hodor yeah i feel like black mirror stole some stuff from this um it also has like a pretty unique kill involving a space heater which I feel like I've, I haven't seen something like that before. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And when there are kills, like, like there's some good effects. Like the sexy scenes are sexy. The killing scenes are well done. And there's some like really, really artfully shot scenes in this. Because it's so weird because while Rupert Everett is like English and it has, it's kind of rooted in sort of English mannerisms i guess you could say it's Very also Italian. kind of it's also kind of rooted in giallo a little bit oh yeah it feels like it's so italian while kind of trying to pretend it's not italian but yeah. it is very Italian. it's so funny once we kind of break out of just focusing on rupert everett and it's very italian. then it's just like uh, <laughs> bonjour no <laughs> yeah. the there's a big scene with vehicle crash that is one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life it also this is another one that has a very iconic line oh we're never gonna stop saying i've only ever read two books i didn't finish one of them and one of them is the phone book yeah there's this whole subplot of how much francesco loves the phone book it's his favorite book they're classics it's just such a silly I'm just gonna keep going back to it's silly but sincere. Yeah. And there's something really lovely about that. I would absolutely watch this again. Um Tangerine Dream was supposed to do the score and then they had a conflict, and that's a bummer Damn. because I think that would really fit with what this film is trying to do and elevate it just a little bit more. See, I don't know if Tangerine Dream is still a thing, but two ideas. One, they could just rescore it. True. Post. To make the Jacob Elordi Cemetery Man, get them to score it. Trademark, uh, trademark, trademark. Yeah. Please pay us if you take these ideas. Um, couple things to end on here. I don't think there's much more to say about it. It's it's fun. It is very, 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 very sexual. Yeah. And involving the undead. So beware of that. Yeah. If you're thinking of watching it. Um, Martin Scorsese loves this movie. He says it is the best Italian film of the 1990s. So nice. Good for him. And then this is the Rotten Tomatoes con critical consensus. And I find that they often nail it. Like, mm -mm. I don't know who's I don't think it's AI because they've been doing it for so long, but it, they like rifle through what all of the critics have said about it and then like create something new that kind of condenses that all. Whoever's it's, job that is, if it ain't a computer. They're doing a good job. Good. So this is the critical consensus of Cemetery Man. And I think it's perfect. So it's quote. Cemetery Man will frustrate viewers seeking narrative cohesion or coherence, but the surreal brand of humor and horror should satisfy B-movie fans in the mood for a quirk. 
Yeah. It yeah, it's great. I'm I'm ready for I I this is again, this is why I love our show. Because just kind of coming out of this and sitting with it, I'm like, yeah, I liked that. Having this conversation, I'm like, I think I might have loved this movie. <laughs> I think I might be in love. <laughs> it it was it was super fun. Also, Rupert Everett hates marriage, and so do we. So Rupert, well, man, reading Rupert Everett quotes after this is so great. I mean, he seems like he's a bit curmudgeonly, and he's also said some things I'm not sure I agree with, but the stuff he says about marriage is hilarious, and I'm yeah. like, get it. He's just like this angry. It, it comes across as like this kind of pissed off, posh English gay man <laughs> who just has a lot of hot takes on things. Honestly, I. Considering French Francesco della Morte's vibe in this, not surprised. Yeah, it's great. How did Cemetery Man make you feel? Long for this absolutely bonkers ride. That make you feel? It made me feel enamored by the silly, sexy, sincere movie. Okay, we are decidedly shifting away from silly. Yeah. Hard shift. <laughs> yeah. For the last movie. We went out to Metro Cinema and saw the 2023 documentary Four Daughters. It was written and directed by Kauter Ben Hania. And it stars Olfa Hamruni, Aya Chikawi, Taser Chikawi, and these are all as themselves as a documentary, Noor Kauri as Rama Chikawi. Ikrak Matar as Hofrain Chikauri, Mad Mastora as The Men, and Hind Sabri as Ulfa. Synopsis. Between light and darkness stands Ulfa, a Tunisian woman and the mother of four daughters. One day, her two older daughters disappear. Filmmaker Katur Ben Hania invites professional actresses to fill in their absence. What do you think of Four Daughters? This is a really heavy movie. So, like I said, hard shift away from like silly thriller fun. Um, I didn't know a lot about this movie, in fact, until like a couple days before we went to see it. It had been on my radar for a while, but until we went to see it, I didn't even know it was a documentary. Yeah, I had only known that it was recently nominated for an Oscar, but I didn't know what it was about. And I also didn't know the story of the people that it is focusing on. Yeah. And I, I think that can be a difficult thing when you're watching this movie, or it could be a thing that, you know, just really draws you into the mystery of the movie. I would say the subject matter of this film is pretty difficult. And this is a film where I could really see people like having to leave because it's too much. Yes. Um, so like strong content warning for sexual assault and violence violence and like family violence. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think also this could be a difficult film, even if you're not coming from the specific cultural and religious context of these characters. But if you grew up with religious trauma of a different type from a different religion, it could be a difficult film to watch as well. Yeah in the way that it makes you reflect on like your own likely very difficult and traumatic experiences. So I thought this film was incredible and 
so thoughtfully made and quite important, but I think it's quite a difficult watch. I had a difficult time watching. Yeah, there was some, there was certain scenes and sequences and stories throughout that just gut punched me. The word I kept returning to as I was thinking about it was just powerful and the spectrum of powerful that exists throughout the movie. The first being just how truly powerful the approach to this documentary is. It's unlike anything I've seen from a documentary in that it's not just talking heads necessarily the whole time recounting the story, but there are reenactments of the story, but it is with the actual people in some cases. It is with actors in other cases. And it's not even... The story isn't necessarily told through the reenactment, but it's told in the lead up them like getting into position and set up for the reenactment. But it's just them talking before they shoot it or after they've shot it. And we're in the middle of shooting it. They like stop and and break from the scene. And even in these so-called reenactments, so often when you're watching something, especially like think a true crime show or like unsolved mysteries. Yeah there's a different um, aesthetic to the reenactments. It becomes very cinematic. Yeah, versus the talking heads. And in this, they're all the same. And sometimes even like in these reenactments, if we want to use that language, Mm -hmm. the real people, especially Ulfa, like the mother, is often in the shot watching. Yeah. And I definitely feel like there's a lot of intentionality around this, but there's a lot of um, just honest and complex conversation happening between all of the people involved. And so I really appreciated how this documentary interrogates the very concept of documentary and is so aware of itself as a medium. This reminded me a lot of Sarah Pauly's stories we tell Mm -hmm. not in content, but just in thoughtfully using the medium of documentary and not using documentary as a, as a just like, equals truth yeah like being aware that it's still a medium it's still edited it's still an art form um and thinking about the medium within the medium and i think this film does the same thing in a different way i felt also just kind of threads of like dick johnson is dead yeah in that tonally very different still dealing with some heavy themes but wanting to kind of break conventions of the medium of documentary a bit yeah, and like thinking about itself and allowing the viewer to think about the fact that you are watching a documentary. Yeah. Like seeing the cameras, seeing the lead up to shooting a moment, like that's part of the film itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a good um, film to think about within this as well. Yeah. For sure. So this film is just so, like it's really riddled with pain. Like these are painful, traumatic mm. stories. But I thought that all the people involved had such empathy and ability to navigate the nuance of like the complexity of these different situations. Yeah. And these people, particularly Olfa, who is quite funny and quite loving, but has some other parts of her that are really tricky and her relationship with all four of her daughters, but particularly thinking about her youngest two daughters and like their history, it's it's not easy. Yeah. And it's not a straightforward, well, we were this and now we're this, or we've been the same the whole time. It's quite complex. And I think 
the film has such thoughtful nuance to the way that it approaches thinking about all of these people and the situations they've been in. Yeah. I, this is a, this is a really emotional film too. I didn't tell you this, but I got very emotional and actually had tears running down my face within the first five minutes of the film. Oh, really? There's a moment where we're still kind of getting acclimated to the structure of the documentary and to who these people are. But when the two sisters and the mom are sitting on the couch and then the two actresses walk in who play the two sisters that have disappeared, I got so emotional just like seeing their reactions and like these aren't their sisters. These are actresses who are Mm -hmm. stepping in to play those roles. But you can see in the family of like, what if they walked in right now? Mm -hmm. What if we could hug them? What if we could hold them? And like, it starts like kind of like laughing and like kind of picking apart, like this isn't really like her. You don't really look like her, but like your essence is there. But then it's just like, they're just thinking about their sisters Mm -hmm. and, and her and her two daughters for Alpha. I got I got really emotional in that whole scene. And it was just I, I really appreciated there's a lot of moments where like it just seems like they just let the camera roll and just captured moments. I thought it was also really powerful that it seemed like they put a camera behind like a two way mirror, which is like the the mirror they would use for like makeup. And yeah. Yeah. they would talk to each other through the mirror, but they're also kind of talking to us because the camera is through the mirror. I thought that was also really powerful and it's really artfully shot like there's a lot of yeah it made me think obviously two completely different films but there was a lot in this that i was like uh well honey is doing work that's as impressive as what todd haynes is doing in may december (laughs) well that's just it like we we were talking of like how with true crime stuff it feels like when we get to reenactments it's very um cinematic but then when we cut back to the talking heads it's very like somber. It's very like procedural. Yeah. Like this is yeah. this is the division. The whole thing. This whole thing felt very cinematic and very thought thought out throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and it's it's all a very similar palette, and it's really gorgeous, and just every moment feels punctuated throughout the whole thing. I also cried a lot in this movie, <laughs> but for me, it was more near the end, and especially with the two youngest daughters, just talking about how messy their feelings are and like they don't have it figured out and I mean that's such a human thing to be able to acknowledge contradictory like extremely contradictory feelings about a person or a situation that like you can't wrestle apart yeah um and I think the film like leaves that complexity in there for the viewer and doesn't try and like answer that for us or make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was really resonant and intentional that it's one actor who plays all the men mm-hmm. because the film doesn't feel like it's trying to PSA or even say a particular thing about families, uh, religion, particularly like doesn't feel like it's trying to say something specific about like Tunisian culture it's it's just presenting a lot of information, but it does seem to be specifically looking at like the way that women and girls are marginalized and the violence that they face, particularly at the hands of men. And yeah. so to have the same actor play all of the men, mm-hmm. I think highlights that. Yeah. And that he's just the men. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought that was pretty powerful. And it seems like it was hard for him because mm-hmm. he sometimes plays these roles that like they're having a really fun time and they're like joking in between scenes. And then there's moments where he says, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is too intense. And then that's like upsetting the people he's in the scene with because it's like we had to live through this. Yeah. And it's important that we get this. And there's just I also just feel like there's this complicated thing. It kind of comes up a, a few times, but it's like as soon as they tell this their story through this film and it's captured on film that they'll be able to move on. But like that's not that's not a truth. Like this is your life. It'll always stick with you. The film seems to be aware of that as well. And yeah. but it is it is hard. Like there's a moment where the third daughter like the mom is kind of like, like, how are you? Like, I didn't know you felt this way. Why are you saying this? And she said, like, the film is giving me permission to speak, but it's just going to go back to the way it is when the film is done. Like, mm-hmm. like Hania seems even willing to, like, investigate the ethics of entering this family and making this film, because, I mean, it can't be easy emotionally to make it. And I'm sure there's been, like, repercussions socially and politically for this family and making this movie well i can see and within the family i can also see a very western audience really jumping on ulfa like in a negative way especially like it's it was really interesting throughout to see the actress hin sabri who plays ulfa in scenes where ulfa can't be be present or if it's too hard for ulfa she confronts Alpha with like hard hitting questions of like kind of how could you do this or why would you do this or like what you're doing is not good for your daughters in this scenario like very confrontational but it's such an interesting thing because they all kind of have a similar background so understand the culture so like they she could be confrontational but then all of a sudden they're like laughing about something because it's like we all kind of have experienced this in some, to some degree or another. And it, it, it's such an interesting thing to see that happen within a documentary and to see just how bluntly some of these things are being put to the, these real life people that have gone through these experiences. This is another movie that Rotten Tomatoes consensus nails it. So oh, okay. I think that's a good place to button it. Um, what the consensus is for this film is, quote, a unique approach to documenting real life horror that is a formal gamble, which only underscores the bravery and resilience of its subjects. That's a, Yeah, that's that's really well put. Um, the last thing that I just want to mention for me. Is there some really, really powerful quotes from Ulfa that will really stick with me? Um, like sharing a couple of them like I taught them how to be strong and they defeated me but right before that she says I taught them how to aim and they shot me yeah it like I was like the one two punch of that but also this one this one really hit me probably because there was a cat in the scene (laughs) but they say that a cat (laughs) no don't scratch me (laughs) because she's holding a, a pregnant cat they say that a cat is so afraid for her babies that she eats them. I was so afraid for them that I was unable to protect them. I didn't eat them, but I lost them. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Just like whoppers of 
of quotes coming from Ulfa and when you have it in the context of their story and how the story is being shared through this documentary, again, the word of the day for this movie for me is just powerful. Yeah, this was Metro plays so many movies that I want to see, but it's a half hour drive away from us. Mm -hmm. We can't always make it out for them. And even though it's sad that Edmonton doesn't get movies as quickly as other places, what that means is some of the folks that I follow on Letterboxd who are in Toronto or New York or Vancouver or LA even though I don't personally know them, but I've become quite, I've, I've come to really trust mm. what they think and through, you know, seeing our similarities in, in what we feel about films. And this was one that a few people, uh, one person in Toronto and one in LA had seen and both rated quite highly. And there's a person I follow in Toronto who I really like what she has to say about movies. And in this, she said like, it just sits with you. Like it just, it just keeps coming back with you when it's, when it's over and and I I agree with that like it's one that it's going to kind of linger and I think it's a a film worth seeing but before a person se- sees it to just be aware that it's heavy and difficult yes how did it make you feel it made me feel unnecessary heaviness and deep appreciation for the nuanced empathy mm-hmm. how did it make you feel it made me feel captivated and heartbroken Hey, let's talk about dads. Let's uh, let's shift back. Let's lighten things up a little bit. Dads of the week. Who'd you pick as bad dad? Picked Officer Mooney from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah, that's a good one. I forgot about him. That's a really good one. Sometimes I try to just make sure they're not coming from the same movie. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's like the very definition of a cab. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> really makes you be like, oh, the real, police. Yeah, real pos. But he's yeah, he sucks. He doesn't believe anyone. He like actively is mean to people and says just some really outrageous things. At the beginning, like it's, within like five minutes of meeting him, we're like, I hope he gets his. Like he sucks, and you know, is he seems to be the um, senior most officer in this town. And he really is not leading by example. Not at all. Real prick. Yeah, you're right. Uh, bad dad. I chose Francesco della Morte. He's he's a <laughs> he's a sexy dude, and despite having that body, yadi yadi, he's very set in his ways in the worst ways. I feel like he he has just like this air of selfishness, and also quite. A dangerous person <laughs> and I feel like he I feel like he's kind of mean I feel like because he's so set in his ways that he can he can really talk down to others around him and yeah he's not very nice to Nagi yeah I don't I don't appreciate that yeah he's got some like at a certain point some American psycho Patrick Bateman energy yeah. I get it he he does have that body, yaddy, yaddy. But I'm I'm happy to relocate him elsewhere and and use yours for the bad dad because I forgot about him and you're totally right. He's pretty awful. Yeah. Okay. So that means Officer Curtis Mooney, don't, don't be, be our, our dad. dad. My rad dad was Dusty from Twister. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yes. Tell me why. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, I love that he is... So supportive of his team. I mean, the whole team just seems to have each other's back and they're just this little family of this very shared passion for very bad weather. (laughs) 
but he also seems really smart. Like he's often the one coming to Joe with solutions or information about things. And I, I really like that. And he, he, he's silly as fuck. I, but I, and I really like that he uses silliness and fun to like gas, gas you up and gas up the team. I, I get chills in the sequence when they're chasing the first tornado and he like throws on some music and it's just like blasting for everybody. Else. And then he's like, he's like out head out the window, just like, Woo-hoo! And then, <laughs> I love the energy. It's very good. And I love that he roasts the dinks, the whole, like, give me a kiss moment. I love like pee pee poo poo people. No time for it. I mean, I feel like he's got good big brother energy. I don't know about dad. I picked Aunt Meg. Okay. Yeah. I think when I think about who do I want as a parent, mm-hmm. more Aunt Meg than Dusty. Yeah. She does have very eccentric aunt energy for but, sure. No, but more than that, why I picked Aunt Meg as Rad Dad is that she, like Joe is her her niece yep. and she loves Joe so much. But in loving Joe, she doesn't lose her ability to see the goodness in like people who have harmed Joe or that Joe's had difficulty with. Like when she sees Bill, she's so happy to see him, but she still holds her like care for Joe as like first and foremost without losing her care for Bill. Like she really is able to hold those two things at the same time. And she has this really lovely, thoughtful conversation with Joe after Joe has a shower Mm -hmm. about like this, like, you know, everybody being back together, but also like what happened with the two of them, like with Bill and Joe. And it's I thought great, that was great really scene. lovely. Yeah, it's really, really amazing. And really, she's like the rad dad for this chosen family. Like when they need when they need shelter and care and food, they come to her. I love that moment where it's a very warm greeting for Bill a very loving greeting for Joe. And then just like this very mom feel like with all the boys, with all the boys. And she's like, my boys. And like makes them all steak and eggs. And, you know, I just, I think she has that parental energy where she's supportive and loving, but also like she knows who they are and she'll give them a hard time and she'll call them out on it. while also like holding that like specific love for Joe without having to like lose it's not like all of a sudden bills out of her life and he's not part of the family because of what's happened she can just hold those two truths at once and i feel like while we don't necessarily get the scene that follows this up there's a very like is your war over yeah kind of energy between her and joe and she understands that while she might not necessarily be able to pull joe out of past trauma and grief that she has she understands that Joe has this purpose and this drive to do this thing and that the best thing that she can do for her is be supportive and be a sort of anchor that she can come back to. She's just like, she's cheeky, she's kind, she's there for her niece, but sees the humanity and worth of everyone and she's kind of badass. Well, I think it speaks volumes that two of our Rad Dad picks came from Twister. So go watch Twister if you haven't seen Twister. But I, I am, I'm, I'm down for Aunt Meg. Okay, so Aunt Meg, be our dad. Be our dad. And I think that for a daddy this week, Francesco Della Morte. Yeah, he is. He's one sexy, sad boy. <laughs> I came across a photo that I think would be perfect for the graphic, so I'm very excited for this one. <laughs> like specifically a sexy photo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 
would watch that movie again just because he's so sexy. Like, and I think it's good that you named him his bad dad because he's not a good, he not he wouldn't be a good boyfriend. No, but good to look at. Boyfriend. Good to look at boyfriend. Um, there's also all this stuff about him being impotent in the movie, which is like weird and funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he is one sexy, sad cemetery man. So Francesco della Morte. Wheat woot. Kylie, what's a rad wreck? What's a rad wreck? Or what's the... <laughs> What's the rad What's a rad wreck? What's a rad wreck? Um, we are rewatching Twin Peaks mm-hmm. in anticipation of Metro Cinema playing Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Um, and they are playing it on Laura Palmer's death day, which is dark but cool. Yes. <laughs> um, so just Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is the rad wreck. Twin Peaks is amazing. If you've never seen it, highly recommend. If you have seen it, why not revisit it? Yeah. So we are currently in the latter half of season two. Then we will go see Firewalk with me in the theater. We'll finally watch the missing pieces and then we'll visit the return again, revisit the return. Um, it's just one of the best pieces ever. of art ever made. And we're watching it this time with the log lady intros. And I think that is the way to watch it. Yeah. It's really incredible. The writing for her. And I just love the performance really adds to like this it gives you like a lens to watch the episode through that i think is really incredible um and then we've also been while we're watching twin peaks we've been pairing that with short films um because short films we've we've wrecked it before rad wrecked it before (laughs) not w-r-e-c-k they're as valid valid of a medium as a feature film Mm -hmm. and watching especially like directors that we've really come to love and appreciate revisiting or seeing their early work through short film is quite incredible so we recently watched charlotte wells uh, short film tuesday which seems to be a companion piece to after sun um we've watched some david lynch short films we've also watched some short films on movie like we watched a yorgos lanthimos short film which is actually newer it's from 2017 mm-hmm. um but then we watched this one called the bones that we really really like yeah. so we're in our short film era as we revisit twin peaks um so the rad wreck is twin peaks but watch short films when you're watching tv too that's it <laughs> <laughs> very nice Thank you so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. Until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. You can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Our usernames are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever. If you could share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That's going to do it for these intense depictions of very bad dads this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot. My dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Bye.